Good evening, church family, and a warm welcome. My name is Nathan Newman, the assistant pastor of community here. And believe it or not, this is only my second uh, or third time that I've actually been here at work since early March, probably like many of you. I left my desktop computer here, naively perhaps expecting that I would be back quickly at work. So finally, I gave in and came back and got my, uh, my screen this week. I wanted another screen. And so Jess and my wife Jess and Della and I, we drove to the church. They stayed in the car and I quickly jumped in, got the computer, rushed home, plugged it all in. And what do you think? I forgot. I forgot my mouse and my keyboard. I've been working on a laptop so much, I forgot that you need multiple pieces for a desktop computer. So the highlight of our week was a return trip to McLean to be able to get the keyboard and the mouse. And of course, Jess and Della were laughing at me all the way back to church. But that is our life these days uh, during these coronavirus times. Uh, but we are here this morning together, or this evening rather, if, if you're not in McLean, we're here worshiping together online in God's Word. So if you would turn to Mark chapter 14, verses 10 through 31. And if you are new to church, we're smack dab in the middle of Holy Week, where we're celebrating the events, the journey of Jesus towards the cross and everything that that, that means for us. So let's look together in God's word, Mark chapter 14, verses 10 through 31. Then Judas Iscariot, who is one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, to one another after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, 
they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do pray and ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see Jesus clearly in this text. Not only that you would open our eyes to see Jesus, but also to see our part in this journey to the cross. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we walk through this passage together, I want to point out three things to you. And the first is this, sin is cheap. Sin is cheap. Judas, one of Jesus's closest friends, betrayed Jesus for a mere 30 pieces of silver. And in John's gospel, chapter 13, verse 18, he said that this act fulfilled Psalm 41, verse nine, even my close friend in whom I trusted ate my bread and he has lifted his heel against me. This story is one that begins with betrayal. Now, Mark and Luke don't exactly record how much Judas was given in exchange for betraying Jesus, but John's gospel tells us that precise amount, 30 pieces of silver, 30 pieces of silver. One commentator that I was reading said that this 30 pieces of silver is four months of wages. In the Old Testament, it was used as the price of restitution for someone who was accidentally killed by an animal. And I wonder when you hear that, does it sound like a lot? Or does it sound like a little to you? 30 pieces of silver. Just pull out your calculator now on your phone. Just do a little quick math. How much is four months of your wages? And I hope that for the life of a human being, that that sum sounds paltry to us. Now, Mark doesn't exactly give money as Judas's motive. We're not exactly sure in this text, but whatever it is, the point is that the price is cheap. What I mean is it wasn't a bargain, but from Judas's perspective, Jesus was not worth very much to him. He sold out his friend for 30 pieces of silver. Judas's betrayal shows us what we are capable of, how often and eager we are to sin, how often we are to betray even those who are closest to us. We just have to think back to the garden in Genesis chapter two, verses 16 and 17. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge 
and of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What do Adam and Eve do? They heard the word of the Lord, but they do the exact opposite. They, they miss the groves of God's goodness and go after the one tree that God had commanded them not to eat of. They forsake every tree for the one. And every time I read this story, I can't help but think, Adam, you had a million other trees that you could have tried before that one tree. And yet you gave up so easily. But what's true of Adam is true of Judas. And it's true for us as well. Because we choose the cheap things of the world to satisfy our desires. We give away Jesus for a lot less than 30 pieces of silver. It's one click on the internet. Or it's a simple white lie to save our reputation at work. Or maybe it's going to a movie theater and dumpster diving for, you remember what a movie theater is? It's going to a movie theater and dumpster diving for that refillable popcorn tin and stealing another film. It's selling out Jesus for worse than 30 pieces of silver. And I wonder, I'm sure none of you would ever do anything like that, but how much is Jesus worth, worth to you? How much is Jesus worth to us? Because the truth is, it's sad how little it takes for us to betray our Savior. I know it's sad how little it takes for me to betray Jesus because by my actions, I regularly say, Jesus is not worth much to me. And so what about you? What is, what is that worth? How much is Jesus worth to you? Sin is cheap. But God's gift to us is better than cheap. It's free. It's free. Now, of course, I mean, it costs something to someone. It costs everything to God. Because that's the point of this next part of the scripture is that the Lord's Supper shows that it cost God everything. So that leads us to the second point this evening, which is if sin is cheap, grace is expensive. Point number two, grace is expensive. And as we continue in our story, as Rob taught last week, we are not surprised. Jesus is not surprised as these events are unfolding. If you look down at verses 12 through 14, Jesus tells his disciples to go and look for a man who's carrying water back home. And that in and of itself would have been an odd sight to see at that time. And he tells his disciples to go back and find their Airbnb in Jerusalem, verse 15, that's fully furnished and Wi-Fi ready, including all the fixings required for the Passover meal. We see throughout these events that Jesus is the one who is orchestrating them all. But before the meal, verses 17 through 21, we see that Jesus again foreshadows the betrayal 
to come. He says, one of you will betray me. One of you will betray me. And I, I love this text. I'm amused by it because you see Jesus's concern even to the very end for Judas. He, he could have called Judas out. He could have said, you're the one who's gonna betray me, Judas. But he says, one of you will betray me. Why? Because he cares for Judas's heart, even to the very end. But instead, Jesus says, it's one of the 12 who will betray me. The point is, it could have been any one of them. And that's what the disciples assume as well. They, they ask, God, Jesus, is it me? Surely not. One by one, they go around the table asking him if it was them. That's their assumption. But sandwiched between these betrayals, Jesus gives us a picture of exactly what we need. He gives us a picture of how expensive grace is in the Lord's Supper. So let's look at a few of those verses. If you continue on in the story in verse 22, it says, and as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them. And so far up to this point, these are words that have been said by Israelites for thousands and thousands of years at the Passover. This was the meal that was taking place, the meal that they were eating. And it reminded me, I saw last week on TV, the Ten Commandments was playing uh, with Charlton Heston as Moses. And I turned to Jess and I said, that is so terrible and tacky in the midst of a global pandemic to be playing a movie about plagues. And she turned to me laughing, of course, and reminded me, Nathan, this movie is it's about the Passover. This is why they're showing this movie. They show it every Easter, not just because of coronavirus. This is why the Passover feast The Passover, this meal that they were eating was an annual feast where they celebrated God's deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt with the prince of Egypt. This was the defining moment in Israel's history. You can read about it in the book of Exodus, but they were enslaved and God delivered them from freedom and bondage. This amazing story of the great migration of the people of God and his incredible deliverance of them. But each part of this meal had a symbolic meaning. Perhaps you've, you've had a Seder, ritual Seder meal before. But a presider gets up and says words. They talk about various elements, such as the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb, the blood was sprinkled on the doorposts to remind the people of God's goodness that, that, they would, that God passed over them with his judgment on the last night, the plagues in Egypt. That's what this meal is all about. And so all of these words are normal until you imagine when Jesus stands up in the middle of the meal and he said, this body, this bread is the bread of my affliction that I am the one who is going to redeem you, who's gonna bring you out of slavery, out of 
bondage. I'm the one who's going to redeem you once and for all. Jesus is saying that tonight we're observing a meal that points to the satisfaction that is required for your sin, that everything up to this point has been pointing to this moment in history. All of the prophets, all of the kings, all of the sacrificial systems, all of this was pointing to this moment in time when Jesus would redeem his people once and for all by his body and his blood on the cross. Jesus says, I'm the climax of history. And this is the most important thing that will ever happen to you. It's amazing to us that Jesus would leave the riches of heaven to come down to earth to die for you and for me. Grace is expensive. It cost Jesus his life. But the third and final point, what does this all point to? Sin is cheap. Grace is expensive. What does it all point to? What points to God's amazing grace? Because by Jesus' death, for those who put their trust in him, they gain everything. One of the first steps to understanding grace is understanding your need for it. If you're sitting there at home and you're thinking earlier, this is just not me. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm no Judas. You're missing the point of the story. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, he calls this the Judas principle. That even if you're not a Judas through and through, that there is a little bit of Judas inside of you. How do I know that? How can I say that in this text? Just look at the next verses, verses 26 through 31. I'm gonna read them again. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. This story ends exactly where it began, with betrayal. Betrayal of Jesus' closest friends. You see, we're the same as Judas. We're the same as the disciples. We are all capable of evil, which is why we are all in need of God's saving grace. Years ago, the London Times asked a group of prominent writers what they thought about the world. What was wrong with it? It would be interesting to see what they came up with today. But G.K. Chesterton, the famous Catholic British writer, wrote in with a simple telegraph and he said, Dear sirs, I am. Signed, G.K. Chesterton. 
point is we have to understand the reality of the fall before we can understand the beauty of redemption. We have to understand the reality of the fall and our part in it before we can understand and comprehend the beauty of the cross. Jesus tells us very clearly to the remaining disciples, you will all fall away. But there is amazing hope. Just a verse later, if you look at verse 28, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. This is the hope of the resurrection. It was predicted in Genesis 3.15. It's anticipated in this meal that Jesus sets apart, this mandate that he gives to us, his people. And it's fulfilled in his death and resurrection. See, Christians are people who understand that they have a little bit of Judas in them. Now it's true that we are no longer God's enemies because we have been reconciled to God. But we have little parts of our hearts that are still stained by the fall, that are stained by sin. And that's the reason why we regularly celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because Jesus and other writers in the New Testament teach us to do this again until the Lord comes. Because the reality is we will share this family meal together soon. Because the point of this meal is to bring longing, anticipation, and expectation for a greater feast to come. A table that's not just for friends, but a table that's for cowards and for traitors as well. It's wherever you find yourself this evening, that's you and that's me, traitors, enemies of God. But for those who have put their trust in Jesus, we have become sons and daughters of the King, co-heirs of every promise of these scriptures. And we will share this meal together again soon. Until that time, we eat and drink as a reminder of that future celebration. Until then, we wait, building our hunger for that time when we will commune with God and one another, closer than even six feet, perhaps. Sin is cheap. Grace is expensive. But Thanks be to God that he was willing to pay the price of our betrayal that we might receive this amazing grace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a story. What a meal. We are so thankful that you give us visible pictures that remind us of your great love for us. We thank you for your sacrifice. And Lord, now for the first time or for the thousandth time, 
we admit our need, the part that we have played in your journey to the cross, our sin that held you there. We are thankful that you are willing to pay the price that we could not pay in order that we might be reconciled to you, that we might be your sons and daughters, that we might receive your amazing grace. We pray all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.